how Love Express, who a local body of believers, uh, gives an, an affirmation to one another and a witness of that love that they have. <clears throat> In preparation for our thinking about this, um, listen to this uh, story uh, from Jonathan Lehman. It's a historical account. <clears throat> the bank robbing train hijacking exploits of the man who would become Missouri's most notorious and beloved bandit, Jesse James, began when James was a member of the Mount Olivet Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri. It seems that James was baptized into church membership in 1866, the same year as the robbery of the Clay County Savings Association in Liberty, Missouri, with which he was associated. An innocent bystander was shot dead. James was also associated with the 1867 bank robbery in Richmond, Missouri, in which the town's mayor and several others were killed, as well as an 1868 robbery in Russellville, Kentucky, which resulted in another man's murder. Two decades later, James's neighbor, W.H. Price, offered an overly gracious appraisal, appraisal of these years. Writes Price, I think he was baptized, and for a year or two he acted as if he was a sincere and true Christian. In his early years and after he came out of the army, he was quiet, affable, and gentle in his actions. <clears throat> in 1869, Mount Olivet Baptist Church was, was deliberating over whether Brother James should be excommunicated from its membership. Yet, according to one report, the church was concerned that Jesse would burn down the church building if they voted to exclude him. <laughs> Two deacons were commissioned to address the matter with James at his mother's farmhouse, where he was known to be staying. The two deacons apparently never were never able to make their visit. Instead, James himself attended the church's September 1869 business meeting and removed himself from membership, saying, uh, quote, because he believed himself unworthy, unquote. The church was all too happy to consent. <laughs> Three months later, in December, James and his posse robbed the Davies County Savings Association in Gallatin, Missouri. James shot and killed the cashier, Captain John Sheets. The incident brought James into the broader public's eye for the first time when his name was printed in the newspapers. Over a decade of turpitude and infamy would follow. Then Lehman asked the question, did Mount Olivet Baptist Church do the right thing by allowing James to resign? Should they have excommunicated them anyway? And what does all this talk about love, authority, charters, and covenants say about all the colorful characters God brings to the church's doorsteps. So what do you do with a person like Jesse James? A notorious, known uh, robber, thief, killer, sinner, and a member of your church. How should a church take on new members? oversee members or remove members 
So we're going to start with, uh, with that today. How should a church take on new members? The very first instance that we find of this is in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 40. This is following on the heels of uh, um, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost and the, the apostles uh, speaking in tongues that uh, people could hear from all different languages and in uh, Paul's, uh, I mean, uh, Peter's great message on um, salvation through Christ. And at the end of that message, verse 40 tells us, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved." Now, those who are being saved, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 21, it says, uh, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And uh, that's part of Peter's message to them. And then he preaches Christ to them, and they called upon on him, the Lord Christ. So what did it mean for them? Well, those, back in verse 41, the, those who received Peter's word, those who, who heard it, understand it, believed it, who, who then called upon the name of the Lord, they were saved, and they were added to the number. They were added to the church. Uh, and about 3,000 souls were added to them. There had to be something to add to and uh, there was a group of believers, as small as they may have been, or at least 120. Um, those 3,000 were added to them. So that's the first instance of members being added to the body. And then, of course, um, verse 47 ends with, And the Lord added uh, to them daily those who were being saved. So those who were being saved were the ones who were being added to the church. And the first uh, requirement to be part of the church then is, is being saved being part of the, the bride of Christ and the body of Christ to, to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior having a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ <clears throat> now also says that they were uh, baptized in verse 41 that those who received the word were baptized and there is a difference of opinion on how close to connect those two. That was it that those who received were baptized and then added to the church. It certainly could be read that way. In which case, there are some people who say that baptism is then necessary to be a church member. And there's a there's a good line of thought along that that lines. But I um, ask you in the for further reflection 
questions tonight to explore that a little bit more. Anyways, they were, they were baptized. Next week, we'll talk about baptism more specifically. But they, they also continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. They, they didn't just become saved and were added and then went their separate ways. They continued daily uh, in the teaching and in fellowship, in prayer, in breaking bread together. Uh, they also shared everything that they had, verse 45 and 46. Uh, they shared what they had. If anyone had need, that need was met. Uh, they met daily as a large group in the temple compounds, but they also met in small groups from house to house. So that was uh, the life of the early church. Foundationally, those who had a sincere belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So taking on members means at least that, that we have an understanding of the gospel and we agree on that. Well, how should a church oversee members? And the idea of overseeing means to, to watch over not overseeing in a domineering sense, but overseeing in a caring sense, in a, to, to watch over other people. Uh, primarily for the church, this is spiritual. Uh, spiritually watching over one another, watching out for one another, being concerned with each other's spiritual condition and uh, the condition of our soul. And, and I'll talk more about that later in the message, but the, that watching over... Uh, really bleeds out into all areas of life. It's not just spiritual, it's primarily that. It's also practical areas as well as we take care of one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, and uh, if, if someone has a need, we seek to, to meet that need. Then how should church remove members? We had, uh, if Jesse James were here, would, would we talk about, well, you think he's got matches today? You know? <laughs> um, 1 Corinthians 5, the whole chapter is given over to church discipline. You may remember that that's an account of uh, a man who, who was sleeping with his stepmother, and it was a uh, publicly known and just a disgrace for that church and, and Paul is saying you, you have to put that person outside of the church you have to excommunicate him how does the church go about doing that and exercising church discipline um, and what if somebody moves I mean they, they get a job in another State and so they're on your membership rolls. What do you do about removing them? Or, or what if they just quit attending? They, they were members here and haven't we haven't seen them in a year. Where are they? How are they doing? You know, are they part of another church? And how and when do we remove members? These are all, all things we have to think through as a as a church. And we have uh, some of these policies listed in our in our constitution. How we we go about this. But it's important for us as a church to know and understand and to agree together how we take on new members, how we oversee members, and how we remove members if that becomes necessary. Well, what is a church affirming about members? 
What is the church saying when they agree, yes, this person is a member of our local body? What is the church affirming about them? What are we saying to the world that we agree with about them? And this is where I think many people take church fairly lightly. Uh, It's where you go on Sunday, it's where you worship, and uh, you may not be thinking about the rest of the week, You're, you're tied up in your business or schooling or whatever you're doing, and and you're not thinking about your, your connection with church and, and how that is reflected in the rest of your, your life. We, we really don't have a, a sacred life on Sunday and a secular life the rest of the week. It's all sacred because it's all given to God, right? So if we, if we receive a member, what are we saying about them? What is a church affirming about that person? We affirm that this person is part of the body of Christ because as we said in point one if that person is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ they have a genuine faith in him then we are saying you, you are part of the body of Christ and so when that person leaves this place and goes out to the world they are we're saying they're going out as a representative of the body of Christ and we affirm that we agree that's true of them and we hold them up as a witness to the world. Listen to what this person says because they have truth. They understand the gospel. They understand what it means to belong to Christ and they can tell you how to have a relationship with Christ. They are, they are our witness to the world. We're all called to be ambassadors for Christ, right? 2 Corinthians 5. And so we are, we're saying... Here's, here's Bob and Mary, and they come to join our church, and Bob and Mary, world, let's look at them. These, we affirm they're part, not only of the body of believers here at Martinsdale, they are part of the body of Christ. And as you watch their lives, and as you watch their marriage, look at them closely, because we are saying about them, we, we affirm them as a picture of Christ to you. That's a pretty big responsibility, isn't it? Now, how many people are thinking they're in the shoes of Bob and Mary? Am I really expected to be a picture of Christ to the world? I mean, I, I didn't sign up for that. I just wanted to attend somewhere. Right? You know? What have I gotten myself into here? And so... People do take their connection with a church too lightly. And we as a church, I think, take too lightly when we affirm a member. We have to be all be more serious about this. Is this a person that we want to send out and say, this, look at this person, they're representative of Christ. And we put our stamp of approval on their life. You see why it's so important for us to build each other up in the faith, to hold each other accountable, to help each other grow as Christians, to help, I mean, we have a marriage class right now that we're, uh, we're in the last session of today, but we, we didn't just offer the marriage classes something that might be of interest to you, but because we know that uh, 
husband-wife relationship in Ephesians 5, Christ says it's a picture of him and his church. It's a great mystery, but I am speaking to you about Christ and his church. And so that, that couple, when they're out in the world, we're saying that this is a picture of them. And so we offered the marriage class to help you not only be a, a better couple, but for the sake of your witness to the world. That's what church is affirming about a member. So we, we need to take that seriously. What are members affirming about the church? To turn this around a little bit, <clears throat> when, a, when a person comes in to the church and they want to be part of that church, what are they affirming about that church? Well, let's just talk about our church here. When a person comes in, they are affirming our statement of faith. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10. First Corinthians 1.10 Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And the same judgment, uh, you judge things the same way. You, you come to the same conclusions on things. You, you look at things together, biblically, scripturally, you come to the same mind, your heart attitude, and, and judgment. And, and so we have several ways in particular that that plays out. First of all, is a statement of faith. And in our uh, constitution, the second half of it is our articles of faith and the, let's see it is this uh, four page document which uh, summarizes what we believe as a church and uh, if you haven't gotten one or haven't seen one in a while and want to reacquaint yourself with them we, we have some available and um, you can see Renee if you, if you don't find one and would like to get a hold of one she can get one for you uh, but Whenever someone comes and wants to be part of the church, we ask them to go through this and, and agree to this because this is what we believe. And they, a person coming to the church is affirming, yes, I, I agree with this. I, be, I believe these things too, point by point by point. I believe these things too. I believe this is what God's word says. And we ask a person if sometime dur during their their time as part of this body if they come to a different understanding and say they, they think, you know, I don't really think the Bible is the word of God anymore. That, that, that's ground for them removing themselves. You know, in, instead of trying to cause a division in the body to get other people to follow wrong doctrine that they would say, well, I no longer believe this so I, I need to remove myself. But... That this is what we believe and so a person coming in is affirming this about the church this, I understand that's what this church believes and I agree with that I'm, I'm part of that I go along with that uh, the second thing is uh, the statement of faith 
and then the uh, statement of commitment um, that is uh, remember a few weeks ago we had a sample one in the uh, bulletin which is not something we drafted it's something we just uh, uh, borrowed from a, another church just as an example of how, how churches might word these kinds of things um, we don't currently have that sort of thing in place and, and we might not even down the road we're still working on that and thinking through that uh, if we did what it would look like what it would say and so we're months away from uh, you probably even voting on that but th- there's still a um, there, there's a commitment to each other in any kind of a relationship that's kind of understood even just in a friendship relationship you become friends with someone there are there are certain things understood about the relationship that you take for granted you don't have to necessarily write it down like uh, thou shalt not stab me in the back you know friends kind of assume that you're not going to stab me in the back uh, the front and the sides are also off limits you know there are certain things assumed in relationships right well, there are in, in church relationships too, uh, but the complicating thing for the, a church is that it's more than just one person to another person. It's one person to, in our case, about 200 people. And, and it's a lot of different kinds of relationships and levels, and what does that look like? And I think it would be helpful to, for us to have something we agreed on that this is what we commit to each other, how how we will treat one another and act toward one another and hold each other accountable and so forth. Um, Not that we're not doing that, but that it would be, I think, helpful that we all understood that and agreed to that and new people coming in would see, okay, that's what they're about and that's what it means to be a part of of this body. Uh, So we're still thinking through that, but we also have what might be called the statement of policy and uh, that's the first part of our constitution. Basically, it's our, our, um, our bylaws and uh, you know, how often we will have church meetings at least once a quarter. Uh, so we have a congregational meeting coming up in a couple weeks. And uh, those are not optional because it's, it's in this statement of our policy. Uh, we agree as a church, we're going to do that. Um, how to do other things the uh, calling elders deacons uh, uh, you might be interested in this part how to call a new pastor uh, uh, do you uh, heard about the pastor who said uh, uh, Jesus is leading me uh, to leave this church And he said that at the end of the service in the final hymn, song leader got up and said, our final hymn is number 423, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> we have written down for us the, the, our statement of faith, our statement of policy. So someone coming in, we go over these kinds of things with them and make sure that they understand this is what they're getting themselves into. Um, and, and that's it's good for us to do. Well, 
who is responsible for membership oversight? First of all, we'll consider the power of oversight. Uh, go to 2 Thessalonians 2. Second Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now there's much in that passage, but I, I just want to uh, focus in on verse 13. We're bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The power of oversight is the Spirit and the Word. The power of oversight is the Spirit and the Word. God chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification not, not just being saved, not just the beginning of sanctification, but the sanctification process growing in Christ through the Spirit and the Word. Those are the two things that God uses to cause us to grow. And the power of oversight is vested in those two things. That is, oversight does not come from someone giving you a list of do's and don'ts or commandments or regulations, I can't make you be good or do good works or something. But uh, Paul says that these things will comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. If you are in the word and you are led by the spirit, you will be established in every good word and work. So the, the power for oversight is not a person. It's not a pastor. It's not a board of elders. It's not your Sunday school teacher. The power of oversight is the spirit and the word because that is how God moves in hearts. Anything that comes external and man-made has no power and no real authority. Only what is true of the word in the power of the spirit is going to change your life. So the power of, of oversight, of overseeing the Spirit and the Word. When, when the people of God 
rely on the Spirit of God to speak the Word of God to one another, then people grow in Christ. Well, the, how about the responsibility of oversight? Uh, first of all, consider the individual believer. Uh, remember the words of Paul to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we are individually responsible for one another. Uh, we have responsibility of oversight. Not the responsibility of giving our opinion, but the responsibility of sharing the word by the power of the Spirit with others. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. See how that's on an individual level. Each one of us needs to look out for each other, even above our own selves. So we have individual responsibility, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. But then there's the, the corporate body of believers that also has some responsibility and oversight. And that doesn't mean uh, just um, that all of us do, although that's true, we all individually do, but that means that we as a whole, as a church gathered, that we act as one. As Pastor Jeremy pointed out a few weeks ago in teaching through Matthew 16 and 18, that the keys of the kingdom were given to the church. And as Jesus told them, the things that you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. The things that you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so what happens on earth in the church becomes a reflection of heaven's will. God is working his will from heaven through his body of believers gathered. And so we saw, in, for instance, uh, Matthew 18, um, how this worked out in, in church discipline. If there's a problem between two believers, you, you go to that person, you try to straighten it out. If it doesn't work, then you, then you maybe bring two or three others with you to help deal with the issue. But if, if they still say no and they're unrepentant and there's no change, then you finally you take it to the church. And it is, it is the church gathered, the church as one, as a body that then has the authority to discipline that member, perhaps even put them out of the church. No individual member on their own has the right to do that. I can't say just because I have a hard time with someone and they won't listen to me, well, you're out of the church. I, I can't do that. But we, as a church body, and only we gathered as a body can do that. So the, the, we are called to do things as a church together that we could not do simply as individual believers. There are certain things that we are called to do as individuals in, our, in encouraging one another, teaching one another, loving one another, but there are certain things we can only do corporately. And then uh, 
The, the third level of responsibility is the elders. Uh, Acts 20. First of all, just notice verse 17. It's uh, talking about Paul. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Then what follows is his, uh, his interaction with them. I want to skip down to verse 28, uh, something specific he says to them. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, notice this. The Holy Spirit, it's his idea to make the elders overseers of the flock. So the elders don't just put themselves in that position, but they are charged by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit himself has, himself has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood to, to shepherd um, you may remember as, as Jesus was talking to, to Peter after the resurrection do you love me yes I love you then shepherd feed them that's the, uh, the purpose the role of, of elders to shepherd the flock to take a personal interest in them, to oversee them, especially spiritually. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. And I know you looked at this uh, probably a month ago too, but just to remind you of Hebrews thirteen seventeen, since we're talking about this topic, the responsibility of elders in oversight, and, and really uh, this thirteen seventeen shows both the elders part and the congregation's part the, the flock's part verse 17 says obey those who, who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account now that's a scary thing to be an elder and to know that one day we elders will give an account to God for the condition of your souls. That we have the responsibility of spiritual oversight for you. It, it's a scary thing. It, it's a humbling thing. That they watch out for your souls. They are overseers of your spiritual life as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you so the, the responsibility of oversight really is with all of us at different levels it's individually we have some responsibility corporately we have certain responsibilities and then the elders have uh, particular spiritual responsibilities well, what is finally the goal of oversight what, what's the purpose of it why, why do that why have the oversight 
It is for discipleship towards Christ-likeness. That's the goal of the oversight. It is discipleship towards Christ-likeness. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> and in a couple weeks, we'll be looking at this chapter of Ephesians 4, but just to remind you of a, a few um, verses here, starting at verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints for the doing of the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ Crandall's translation verse 13 until we all every single one of us we do it as long as until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ till we all look just like Jesus. That is the goal of oversight. That we build up one another, we help each other on in the spiritual journey till we all look like Christ. How does that happen? How does that take place in a church? Discipleship happens when the people of God rely on the Spirit of God to speak the Word of God to others. That's it. Discipleship happens when the people of God rely on the Spirit of God to speak the Word of God to one another. And how do you do that? How do we as a people of God rely on the Spirit to speak the Word? That is what this book, The Trellis and the Vine, is about. That's, that's the whole reason for this book and this study. How do we do that? It, informally and formally, how, how does that take place? And how can I be a part of that? How can I grow in that? How can we as a congregation minister in that way? That's, that's what this book is about um, so read, read chapter 1 in preparation for next week Pastor Jeremy is going to teach the first five chapters of this while I teach the youth and then, then we'll switch roles again but it starts next week if, if you happen to be um, in the other ABF class uh, the Galatians class which I would encourage you to continue on with if you are you can always get a copy of this book you just let me know and we'd be glad to order you one so that you can it's a pretty easy read so you can read through it on your own so uh, why are we taking so much time to go through this and ask these questions about the church well remember that the, because the church is the bride of Christ it, the church is precious to him and we want to take more seriously what God has called us as his bride and his body to be and to do how, how are we to react to each other receive one another help each other and 
it's, it's our prayer and intention that God would use this series to help us all grow closer as a, a church body and understanding these uh, precious truths and that God would be even more glorified through this body of believers known as Martinsdale Community Church. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your grace in our lives that you have called us to yourself and set us apart as your children but you also have brought us together as your children to, to be a part of a local body of believers. And we want to know what that means and understand our obligations, responsibilities in this and what we're affirming by it um, and how we can help each other. And I just pray, God, that you would open our hearts to these truths from your word, that we would grow in them and that you would be honored in Jesus' name. Amen.